You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. Ephesians chapter 2, through God's grace, we're going to be as excited and as joyful over the Word as we are in song. Amen? We worship the Lord, and music itself is one form of worship, but we get the chance to talk about the risen Christ, the one who died for us and rose again, and we get to worship Him in His Word this morning and be instructed by the very words of Jesus, and that is a joy and a privilege. And so this morning, I'll be preaching a message entitled, Alive Together with Christ. Now, if you're just joining us, uh, we've been working our way through a series in Ephesians Uh, We've spent time in Ephesians chapter 1, really just beginning Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. And the the series of messages is entitled, The Gospel Immeasurably More Than You Thought. The Gospel Immeasurably More Than You Thought. And my prayer for you this morning is that you come to know the gospel, that is, the good news of Jesus Christ, as immeasurably more than you thought when you walked in. That your mind would literally be blown at all God has done for you in Christ. That it would become personal for you today and precious to you what Christ has done on your behalf. And the great thing that it is. Today is Easter. Today the the church celebrates Easter, the resurrection of Christ. And we celebrate what we have Celebrated for 2,000 years since the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, it is the whole reason that the church worships together on Sundays and has done that for 2,000 years all across the world. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is essential to the Christian faith. Without it, the Christian faith would literally fall apart. The resurrection has been called the linchpin of the Christian faith. That is, that the historical, it is the historical event upon which Christian doctrine stands or falls. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is, and your faith is in, or rather, then our preaching is in vain and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. You see, if you take the resurrection away from Christianity and you remove Easter, 
the real Easter from Christianity, then you take all hope away from humanity. Hundreds upon thousands of people from the first century onward have attempted to disprove or at least downplay the resurrection story. Some say it's a myth made up by Christians designed to fool thousands into buying into a religion that just, is, just can be used as a crutch. There are others who say that the resurrection story is just one of many. All different world religions have their own version of the resurrection story. And there are countless attempts, more upon more, that we could add to that. One man set out to disprove the resurrection He was an atheist journalist by the name of Lee Strobel. And he was determined that if he could disprove the resurrection, then he could pull all of the threads out of Christianity until it raveled to the ground. Even his wife, who was a Christian, he set out to disprove. And what became a, the, the summation of all of his research 20 years ago, a case for Christ, actually worked out to do the opposite. Lee Strobel discovered that The resurrection is in fact true. Jesus did in fact die for, uh, die for our sins and rise from the dead. And so he turned from his sin of unbelief and surrendered to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I want you to know this morning that Jesus is not in the grave any longer. That Jesus Christ is alive. He has risen just as He said All that we have proclaimed in song, all that we have prayed for this morning, all that we have read about this morning is absolutely true. Jesus was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He died in the place of sinners. He was buried and was raised on the third day. He ascended to heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And He is coming again to receive His church for whom He shed His blood. Jesus is alive. Now my intent this morning is not to convince you that the resurrection is true. I simply make the statement to you on the authority of God's Word this morning that it is. Rather, my intent this morning is to call you to consider the implications in your life and in my life if in fact Jesus is alive. You see, the Gospel is not only historically significant, it is personally significant. If Jesus is alive, just as He said, then His words are true. And if His words are true, then they bear absolute authority upon our lives. And you and I need to seriously consider our current condition and our standing before God. So, let me just be very clear right up front about what my intention is this morning. I have two goals for this message this morning. The first goal is this. Those of you that are in Christ this morning, and by that I mean that you have recognized your sinful condition before God, you have repented of your sins, and you have believed upon Christ to save you. You've trusted in His completed work on the cross as all-sufficient and satisfying to a holy God. 
And you have received forgiveness of sins through his blood and righteousness by faith. That's what it means to be in Christ. And so for you this morning, my goal is this. that You would be reminded of who you are in Christ today because of the resurrection. And that you would live in that reality and really feel what it means to be alive. No longer dead, but alive in Christ. Second goal is for those of you in this room who do not know Christ today. The things that I just said to you this morning are not true in your life. My earnest prayer for you is that you would see your condition before God today. That you would realize your sin and that you would understand the biblical imperative that you come and you trust Christ today. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. Turn to Christ and be saved. The gospel is good news. And so consider your life in light of the word this morning and turn to Christ. So with that, let's turn to God's word. Ephesians Chapter 2, if you found your place, I want to invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. The Bible says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Pray with me. Lord, I thank You for Your Word. It is a humbling privilege and joy to open it this morning and to read what You have written to us. And so I pray that we would not take this moment lightly, but that we would recognize that we hear from the God of heaven as Your Word is preached. And I pray, Jesus that You would open the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf this morning, that You would cause them to see the reality of what You have done for them in the Gospel. God, may we join together in seeing this good news. And if there is someone here who's never turned to Christ, may they turn to Him today in faith. 
And may we all be renewed in this great gospel in which you died for us and rose again. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So there were incredible things happening in Ephesus. This letter was written by the Apostle Paul to the church there at Ephesus. And there were just incredible things that were happening. One man came to Ephesus proclaiming the gospel. And because one man was faithful, God took those, those seeds of, of gospel truth and He caused them to, to grow and to bear fruit. And, and so there were many incredible things happening there at Ephesus. In fact, if you go over to Acts chapter 19 and, and you read that on your own time, what you'll discover is that there were miracles taking place. Such, such great miracles that, that even the things that, that Paul was wearing, his cloak and his apron, those things were, were taken away and, and given to the sick that they might touch them and be healed. These were incredible things happening at Ephesus. The, one, of the greatest, uh, one of the greatest characteristics of Ephesus in the day was this thing called witchcraft. And, and it was just rampant all over town. And, and the Bible tells us that as the gospel prevailed in Ephesus, that these people who were once in witchcraft, that they gave up all of their books and sold them, or, or burned them rather. They were worth 50,000 pieces of silver and they just said, we don't want them anymore. We want, we want to know Jesus and, and receive Him as Lord and Savior of our lives. And, and Jesus was transforming everything that was happening there in Ephesus. You see, when people encounter the living Christ, lives are transformed. When you, when you see Jesus, when you meet Jesus, you, you can no longer be the same. Everything about life is different for you and and this is why people talks about, or rather Paul talks about the people in this passage as people who once were people. They were the once were people. Because in, a, in, in Ephesus they had encountered the risen Christ and, and God had transformed them and changed them. And they were not the same. And as a result, Paul makes a powerful statement right here in the middle of this passage. What is the central idea of these ten verses? And it begins with these wonderful words, but God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. And here's the words made us alive together with Christ. Did you catch that on the end? What was the happening at Ephesus? What was so different? Why were people being so radically changed? It's because people were being made alive in Christ. That was the radical change that stood out in Ephesus. That was the thing that was different. It transformed them from death to life together with Christ. You see, the, the resurrection of Jesus is more than historically significant alone. It is personally significant. Jesus was not crucified on the cross and raised to life ultimately so that he could prove himself to the world. Jesus does not need any proof. Jesus stands as the only son of the living God and his character stands on its own. 
So then, Jesus died and was raised again that He might do something. And that something is in order that He might save. In order that He might take a people who are dead in sin and make them alive again in His name. And so the miracle of Easter is, yes, that Jesus died and was raised three days later. But inasmuch as that miracle took place, the same power for 2,000 years has been doing the same impossible thing in raising sinners to life. And that's what Paul wants us to get this morning. The same God that raised Jesus from the dead also raised sinners, raises sinners to life in Him. The same God that raised Jesus from the dead also raises sinners to life in Him. It was impossible that the dead would rise again. God did the impossible when He raised Jesus to life. But it was equally as impossible that those who had been caught up in witchcraft would repent and turn away from their sins. It is equally impossible that those who are consumed by addiction would find freedom in Jesus' name. It is equally impossible that those who have committed crimes would be forgiven. That those who are atheists would believe. That those who worship a false god would repent of their idolatry. That those who are prideful would be humbled. That those who are caught up in sexual sin. Those who are drunkards. Those who are diseased. Those who are orphaned. Those who are outcast, rebellious, or anyone else who never thought they could be changed by Jesus. It is equally impossible that any of those things should happen, but God is doing it every single day in the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Their lives were hopeless and possible, but God raised Jesus to life and He's been raising sinners for 2,000 years. Behold, Isaiah says, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save or His ear dull that it cannot hear. There is no one Hear me carefully. There is no one in this room or on the face of the planet that God is not able to save completely and wholly. Colossians tells us that we were alive, we've been made alive together with Jesus. Romans 6 tells us that we've been made alive together with Jesus. This is the heartbeat of the New Testament church. They realized that the resurrection was more than just a doctrine. It was something that was personally significant. And so if you find yourself in Christ today, then you are alive because the work of God in your life has done a miracle. Jesus has saved you and you who were once dead, Jesus has made alive. You who were once lost are now found because the same God that raised Jesus from the dead is also raising sinners to life in Him. Now in order for you to feel that, in order for you and I to get the weight of that being true, Paul makes three major points about this, this truth of God raising sinners in Christ. He, he wants us to get what he's really saying. And so he says three 
foundational things that kind of serve as the platform on which that truth rests. The the foundation, if you will. And in order for us to value what Paul is saying about our lives, we need to understand these things as well. And so first he says, by the way, this is something about who we were, who we are now in Christ and who we have been made to be. And so he says first to who were we? He says to the Ephesian church, remember, remember that you were spiritually dead without Christ. Remember that. It's what he means when he says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You and I, apart from Jesus, before Christ came into our life, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. You'll notice that four different times he uses the past tense to describe who Christians once were. He says, you were dead in verse 1 in, your tre- in the trespasses and sins. Verse 2, in which you once walked. Verse 3, he says, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh. And then he says at the end of that verse, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But the driving characteristic of all of those descriptions is the fact that you were dead in your trespasses and sins. This is the spiritual condition of the sinner without Christ. You and I, without Jesus, are spiritually dead. And Paul uses two words to describe that condition. The word trespass and the word sin. Both of those things together indicate living in a way, acting in ways that are contrary to God's law, what God requires of us. And every single one of us fall into that category. And so what Paul is saying is that without Jesus, you are dead in in trespasses and sins. And that means that this deadness, this spiritual deadness describes the penalty of our sin. That is that we are in a state of death and we are headed toward an eternal spiritual death. Like that is the end of all of those who turn their backs against God and disobey Him. That we would die for all of eternity separated from God, never knowing Him, never enjoying what He created us for, spending eternity in a place called hell, separated from God. That is what it means to be spiritually dead. It also means that it is a spiritual condition, meaning all of the signs in my life now, in the present, they are absent of spiritual life. If I don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, if Jesus is not a part of my life, if I'm not found in Christ, then it means that I am dead and unable to respond to God. I have no hope. I have no joy. I have no purpose. I'm not breathing. I don't have a pulse. It's dark. It's silent. It's lifeless, alone, and isolated. It's like a giant weight on your chest that can never be removed. And you and I find ourselves apart from Jesus in that condition. You have to understand the depravity in Ephesus. What Paul is describing in this city, he says, this is who you once were. Remember that this was the center of witchcraft. 
They were looking to, to, to exploit all of their opportunities to do evil. There was a temple there that they worshipped false gods in, primarily Diana. And in that, in that temple, there was a practice of prostitution. And this, this God that they, that they, they made into this, this wonderful thing was leading them into temple prostitution and, and many other different things. See, Ephesus was a dark place. How many of you know that we live in America in a dark place right now? How many of you know that? The depravity of our culture is all around us. We live in a messed up world. Strongholds, sure, we see prostitution around us. We see sex trafficking around us. We, we see witchcraft around us. But things that may be more prevalent around us, drugs, world is messed up, isn't it? You've got friends and family whose lives have been wrecked. Some of you are here this morning and you know what that life looks like. Families that are broken. Pride that is just wrecking our town. Social and racial prejudice. Alcoholism. The list could go on and on and on. <clears throat> Most of us are willing to acknowledge the sin around us. But here's the problem. Few of us are willing to admit the sin within us. You see, the Bible describes all people without Christ as those who are dead in their trespasses and sins. Paul says, among whom we all once lived. He uses the phrase, like the rest of mankind. That means that Everyone under the sound of my voice this morning, apart from Jesus, this is who you are. You find yourself in great need. And the Bible says about these people, he goes on to describe, that if you are in this position, those who are spiritually dead are led by Satan. The spiritually dead are led by Satan. He says, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. If that's who you are, then you're following not just your own way. You, you might think, I'm just doing my own thing. I'm just enjoying life. I'm just hanging out, you know. Uh, I'm going to live my life to the fullest today because I'm going to die one day and I want to get it all in. And yet the Bible says that you are spiritually dead and you are being led around by Satan himself, the prince of the power of the air. He also says that the spiritually dead are consumed by their sin. Verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Listen, you may think that if you live apart from God, that you're living in freedom and you can do whatever you want to do. But here is the reality. He who commits sin is a slave of sin. You are in bondage today. Listen to me carefully. If you're following after and chasing after all of those things that dishonor the Lord, that are disobedient to the Lord, then you are a slave following only what you desire. And it's nothing more than what is your nature. And third, the spiritually dead are under God's wrath. You say, I don't want to be led by Satan. I, I, don't, I don't want to be enslaved to anything. And yet, it is the most pressing reality on our lives that if we are spiritually dead, that we are under 
God's wrath. Believer, that is who you were. And some of you here this morning are still there and you feel the deadness of your life and you are wishing and hoping that somebody will tell you how to feel alive again. Somebody will tell you how to get away from this bondage and this darkness and the the weight on your chest and the burden that you carry every day and that somebody will give you some good news in your life. Are you there this morning? Somebody will give you some good news. Verse 4 is the good news. He says, but God. It is a decisive shift in the tone of the passage. And so this morning, not only should we remember who we were without Christ, we should see that God has raised us to life in Christ. Oh, the God who breaks the power of the darkness. Amen? Oh, the God who says to us that we can be free because He's done something on our behalf. See that God raised you to life in Christ. But God being rich in mercy. That means as dark as Ephesus was, they were not beyond the arm of God to save. Isn't that good news this morning? As dark as Ephesus was, as much as they had rebelled, all of their wrong, all of their, all of their mistakes, all of their burden, all of their failure, Christ was able to save. And that means that no matter the depth of your spiritual deadness this morning, no matter how long, no matter how dark, no matter how distant your life has become from God, but God, oh sinner, See these two words as attached to your life today. Just as there is a seismic shift in the passage, there can be a seismic shift in your life. God can transform you forever. These were the words that the world heard the day that that Jesus was raised to life. Oh, Jesus had, had been given over to Roman Guards, he had been given over to the Jews to, to put to death. And they killed him. He was dead. He breathed and gave up the ghost. He was dead. They buried him in a tomb. They sealed it with, with a stone. They, they sealed it with the, the seal of the government. No one could come and roll that stone away. They put guards against the tomb. And everything, all hope was lost. All humanity was done. Christianity was defeated. But God, three days later, the one whom you crucified, God raised from the dead. And sinner, don't think that your life is so far gone that the God that can raise Jesus from the dead is not the same God that can raise you from your deadness and sins and trespasses today. But God, He is the one who breaks the power of darkness. Some of you need a God moment. Some of you need that but God moment because you're an addict. But God. You had an abortion. But God. You are hard and prideful and resentful and bitter. But God. You are an atheist. But God. You have lied and cheated and stolen. But God. 
You could never be forgiven but God. You don't need anybody and you have no excuses but God. God and God alone. The text tells us that God has done this and it tells us why. Why? It is not for anything we have done. So if you think you want to measure your life by your own life, you're missing. You've got the wrong measuring tape to begin with. This is measured purely by the character of God. So Paul says that God is rich in mercy, but God being rich in mercy. There is enough mercy in God that if you, a sinner, would cry out to him and plead, God, would you would you save me? Would you forgive me of my sins? Would you heal my life? Would you change me? God, I don't have any answers anymore. I don't know what to do with my life. God, would you have mercy on me, a sinner? The Bible says that today he is rich in mercy and that he's willing to give you mercy if you'll turn to him. That God is rich in love. He's rich in love. The world has so many distorted ideas of what love really is. And yet Paul says because of the great love with which he loved us. Unfathomable love. We'll read on in Ephesians later. I would encourage you to join us as we continue this series and finish off. But we'll read on in Ephesians that it is not even measurable, the love that God has for us in Christ. He's rich in love. And third, God is rich in grace. He's rich in grace. This is so important. I don't want you to miss this. Don't miss it. End of verse 5. By grace you have been saved. And raised up with Him and seated with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show you the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us. And He says it again, verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. Listen, if you think that somehow you can make this thing work, You can figure it out. You can live a better life. You can turn over a new leaf. You need to understand this morning that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That every single one of us is guilty. There is none righteous. No, not one. And even on your best day and my best day, our righteousness is as filthy rags before the Lord. Without Christ, we have no righteousness. Without Christ, we we can't be raised to life. You try it. You try it this afternoon. When we finish our service, you go right out here to the graveyard and you go ahead and start telling people, go ahead and come to life. I promise you nothing's going to (laughs) happen. Because dead people need someone else to act on their behalf. And it is by God's grace that He has sought you and bought you with the blood of His Son. And it is by grace that He calls your name. And it is by grace that you are born again. You trust in Christ today. And He will do that in your life. We are, we are saved by grace. And so it is God who raises us to life that demands demands a response. You can't just hear that and say, you know what, that's a good story, Pastor. I'm so glad you told me that good news today. I'm going to go home feeling so much better about my my life. You see, the reality is Jesus dying and, and rising again doesn't get automatically applied to your life. Something has to happen in your life in order for you to be saved. 
There is a, a response that is demanded from us as sinners. And we see it there beginning in verse 8. Beginning in verse 8. Notice it there with me. For by grace you have been saved. Don't miss the two words. Through faith. Through faith. No, it's not of your own doing. No, nothing God, nothing you, you, you could ever do would ever satisfy a holy God for, for your sin, all that is owed to Him. Only Jesus could shed His blood in your place. And yet there is something that we must do. The only thing that we cannot do, that we, that we can do, if we can't earn it, if we can't deserve it, the only thing that we can do is simply surrender our lives in faith. Believe the gospel. And so we should respond to God's call to live for Christ through number one, respond to God in faith, respond to God in faith. It's not of your own doing. It's the gift of God. I've been speaking in terms of the past, who we once were. And yet there are some of you here this morning. That's who you are. There has never been a decisive moment in your life where you've responded to God in faith. We must respond in faith. If we're going to live for Jesus, that's the first way. Well, what does that mean? It means two things. It means that, number one, you would turn away from your sin. Why on earth would God save us in order that we might go on living Like hell. Why would He save us that we would go on living in all of the ways that made us dead in the first place? God has saved us that we might turn away from those things. You see, to receive Jesus in faith is to submit to Him as Lord of our life. And if He's Lord, if He's Master, we've got to turn away from the life that we once loved and now come to love the the things that Jesus is. We've got to come to know Him. And so we must turn away from our sin and then obviously we must trust in Christ. You don't come to God offering Him anything. We come to God empty, bankrupt, with nothing to offer Him. And yet, everything's on the table. His blood is given that we might be forgiven. That God might be satisfied. The righteousness of Jesus is given that we might be made righteous in Him. It's exchanged for our sin and we receive the righteousness of Christ. All of our guilt is placed upon Christ. We are declared forgiven and innocent and pure and holy before God. And you and I have only to say, I trust in Christ. I got nothing, but Christ has given me everything. It's a surrender. See, it's a moment when we see the futility of the dead life and we turn to Christ to live again. And then we go on to respond to God in obedience. Paul says we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Friend, there are too many of us as believers, and I'm talking to believers in the room. If you don't know Jesus this morning, hang tight for just a second. Believers, I want you to hear me. 
There are too many believers in this room and in this world who live a half-hearted Christianity. Who give only just what they would call enough to Jesus so that they'll feel good about their religious life. We weren't created to give a piece of ourselves to Jesus. I just, I just want to be candid with you for a minute. We weren't created with a, a hole in our hearts that only Jesus could fill. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. And when we're made alive, we are made alive together with Christ so that our lives are no longer ours, but they are totally His. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And I want to call us, church, to give in that way, the way Jesus would give His lives for us, may we give our lives for Him. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I don't know how to read that any other way. We ought not talk about commitment in the church because we have a risen Savior. We ought not talk about passion and, and, and joy in the church because we have a risen Savior. We ought not have to talk about those things and stir those things up because the Spirit of Christ is in us, church. It ought to be birthed by the Spirit of the living God when we realize all that Christ has done for us. And so we respond to the call to live for Christ. Now, this morning, if you find yourself to be in the position of the first three verses, <clears throat> that is, if you are here this morning and you are without Christ, you realize that you are dead in sin, that you have no hope in the world apart from God and what He has done in Christ for you, I I pray that that is stirred in you this morning, that the Spirit of God has awakened in you a desire for Christ and that today, in a few moments, whenever we have an invitation, that you would see fit to respond to Jesus and place your faith and trust and your life in Him. And so in just a few moments, we're going to have this time of invitation when this altar, these steps here, place to come and pray will be open. I'll, I'll be standing down front and it's going to be an opportunity for you. A day today, this Easter Sunday, to surrender your life to Jesus and be saved. To be in the once were category. I once was dead, but God made me alive. That can happen today for you. But you've got to trust in my faith. And that's going to begin with you stepping out of the place where you're standing and you coming down this aisle and you saying today, Pastor, Pastor, I want, to, I want to be in Christ today. I want to know Jesus today. Will you help me? That's all you've got to do. The Bible says if you will believe upon Jesus and you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and, and believe that God had raised, raised Him from the dead, that you'll be saved. If you'll believe that today and trust Him today and respond to Him today. Others of you in this room, you've been living more of a dead Christianity. Not life in Christ, but caught up in sin or caught up in, in, in doubt or caught up in frustration or whatever you want to put it in the category of. Today you need renewed 
a renewed hope and trust and faith in Jesus, this altar is going to be open. Maybe you need somebody to come and pray with you. They'll be willing to do that. You just come. Begin to pray. Other believers in this room are praying for you already. We trust that God is going to do that work in your heart. So I want to invite you to stand with me all across the room. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. I'm going to pray. Our musicians, praise team is going to come. I'm going to sing, I surrender all. And that is your prayer today. That's how you respond today. Give everything that you are to Jesus and trust in Him with your life. Lord, I pray that today you would have your way in this place. God, that hearts and lives would be changed, that it would look like Ephesus in these hearts. Lord, God's just doing amazing things. And Lord, I pray that you would receive glory and honor that is due you and you alone. For you are not here. You are risen. Risen indeed. We pray in Jesus' name. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ. Thank you.